This week, we want to talk about how you can make your application for VTS or a new job as appealing as possible. We've got an expert on all things applying to VTS, and you want to stick around for this conversation on The Veterinary Viewfinder. Welcome back to The Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And a tough topic that isn't often talked about is applying for a VTS specialty. And the process can be daunting for many. And so today we've got an expert who really is going to help guide you through the process of not only making a successful VTS application, but maybe just applying for that new position or promotion or whatever you're interested in. But before we get into that conversation, as always, I am one of your co-hosts, Dr. Ernie Ward. And sadly, our other co-host, Becky Mosser, RVT, is unable to be with us today. Becky, we are thinking about you. She's dealing with a sick family member and our thoughts and prayers are with her. But we do have on the line a very special guest that Becky knows all too well, and that is Heather Carter. So Heather, welcome to the Veterinary Viewfinder. Hi, thank you. Well, Heather, you know, when you first approached us about this topic, at first, you know, I was going, wow, that's really interesting. I, I had no idea the whole process of getting a VTS, you know, application approved. But really, there's a lot more to this process than just like saying, hey, I want to be VTS and how do I do it, right? I mean, it's a big process. Right. It's a big process. Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about your involvement and why I think the conversation with you today is going to be so important to listeners today. And again, viewfinders, this isn't going to just apply to a VTS application, but I'm going to argue this is going to apply to anything. So Heather, what is your involvement with this whole process? Um, yes, thank you. So I have a VTS in anesthesia. I got it 15 years ago, which is wow, an eternity yeah, right. in that world. Um, and I have had the opportunity to review um, case uh, applications for the last within that. And I've kind of watched the evolution of them and the de-evolution of them a little bit. And this has become really important to me because I spend a lot of, I went to grad school for industrial and organizational psychology, which is the study of human behavior in the workplace. So it's this interesting combination or like intersection of how to write scientifically and how to, yeah, advance yourself. So that's in a job that's with a VTS, that's with a promotion. So this has become really important to me because I think that it's a, like you said, a daunting process, but it's not impossible. Right. And I love this. And again, viewfinders, you can see she is the perfect person to speak to this. But Heather, back up a little bit for the the listeners that are maybe veterinarians or they're veterinary students. They don't know the whole process. So explain, like, how do we even get to the VTS application? Like what happens before that? And then how do you actually say, I'd like to become a specialist? So I can absolutely speak from experience from the anesthesia one, but I've helped individuals with other, um, I've helped with internal medicine uh, rehab and neuro. So I do have some experience in other domains. So each of the specialties is a little different, but you first need to qualify with the number of hours that you spend working in that domain. So in anesthesia, you have to be doing anesthesia full-time for five years before you're eligible to even apply. Well, and Heather, and so just other, back up real quick. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got to be a licensed RVT, CBT, LBT, right? Yeah. So so uh, yes. again, so so right, let's just roll it back even slightly further. So now you're, right. you're uh, listening today and you're a, a credentialed licensed veterinary technician. What's the first step like to, to say, you know, I'd, I'd like to be an anesthetic uh, specialist. I'd like to, to learn more about behavior. Like, what do you think the best guidance is just to even 
to, to, to determine if they should explore this opportunity. Yeah, where to go. I think that depend. I think that the individuals that have done well have approached another VTS and said, I okay. think I want to do this. Right. And then you kind of get an idea of like, where do I even start? And it, I think that anybody looks at the application process, it's several pages and right, it's right. very intimidating, I think. So I would talk to a VTS and find if like, here's what I'm thinking about. What do you think? And that individual can hopefully like point you in the right direction and maybe demystify the process a little bit. Oh, I love that. And if you don't know a VTS, you can email me. Yeah, that's what I wanted to ask you because, you know, a lot of our listeners, you know, we talk about this a lot, Heather, over the years is they feel isolated, right? They're in yeah. part of America, rural America, whatever, and they don't have access to VTSs down the street. So you would encourage them if, if to go maybe to look at some of the VTS websites. I mean, would that be a starting point and say, hey, you know, I'm interested in learning more about VTS anesthesia? Yes, absolutely. Okay. And on the anesthesia website is all of us. So you can find maybe somebody in your state and reach out to them. And I actually, the last time I got to hang out with Becky was at in Reno at Vet Show. Right. And we were talking about this exact thing of just the being accessible to people and um, just individuals I interact with of like, here's my email address. And in perpetuity, if you need something, just reach out. Because I think that individuals would be are super helpful or want to be helpful to other people. I don't think there's a lot of gatekeeping around this. Yeah, Heather, I, that's a really important point. I mean, we talk about this all the time, viewfinders. So like, you know, if you see someone or there's someone you want to connect with, just make the first step. Yeah, Email exactly. Them, come up to them at a conference or whatever. And, and Heather, I mean, you, again, I find it such an open door. I mean, I, I can't tell you the number of really unsolicited emails I get from veterinary colleagues asking a question. And guess yeah. what? I, I would say 99.9% .9 of the time I respond. Now, sometimes they're kind of weird comments, but... <laughs> <laughs> to ignore that. But you know, 99.9% .9 of the time I'm going to be like, Hey, you know what? I may not be able to help you directly, but here's a contact who exactly. could, or I'm going to say, Hey, I, I'm all over that. Let me show you what to do. Uh, exactly. Again, so no matter where you are, what I love is the fact that if you have aspirations in this direction to become a specialist, right. And I think it's yeah. super important right now as vet techs sort of evolve. I think this is Agreed. a really important time to do this. Don't hesitate. Find that area of specialty that you're interested in. Reach out to those folks. Say, Hey, I want to know more. And, and like Heather said, they're going to be there. Okay, so so Heather, they've they've made a commitment. They said, you know what? This is my thing. My passion is anesthesia. Yeah. I'm doing it. I reached out to Heather. She gave me some advice. So now you're saying that they've got to have a certain number of hours. You know, mm -hmm. so how does that whole logging process begin? That whole logging process, you're right. That's where things get a little daunting, and each specialty is a little different. So that's why it's important to maybe reach out for that individual in the area that you're interested in applying. So I find that the very, very first thing for all specialties that is worth that you start with is you have the minimum number of hours in that specialty before you get to start applying. Okay. Like I said, anesthesia is five years. So in that five years, you can start to diversify your skill set. You can... Um, you know, start to read up on things. You can look for resources to advance your knowledge so that when you do start to apply, you feel a little bit more grounded in what you're trying to do. Um, but the number one thing to do is make sure your CE, your continuing education is appropriate for that specialty. Oh, good point. Because if you've just got a scattershot of different 
continued yeah. ads. Uh, wow. Yeah, that is a really. So, so guys, one of the things I love about this process is the fact that it requires tremendous foresight, planning yes. and execution. Right. And I think yeah. that too often we kind of Heather, we kind of live in this time of instant gratification and people are like, well, I yes. want to be this and I want it now. I want to do it today. Right. Now. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I love the process because, you know, again, you know, they're trying to make sure that the person who says they want to be a VTS actually has the experience to back that up. The other thing too, Correct. Heather, you know, I would say this extends a little bit to, let's say that you want to be a manager, that you, you're you a tech out there, or a person, a vet, whatever. You say, you know what? I see myself as a leader. Well, yes. A, I think you should connect with people that are in a similar position, whether they work Agreed. with you or not. Hopefully they don't work for you or with you so that you can get a different perspective. But then you need to actually sit back and say, how do I get to that level? Because again, mm-hmm. you know, Heather, I think too, people just want it too fast, too quickly. And the best experts, in my opinion, are those that kind of log the time. Yes, I agree with that 100% that you are thinking ahead to where you want to be. And that's a really good way of putting it in that you are thinking in six months, a year, I want to be in this place. So I'm going to start working on that right away or start working on that and making small steps or progress towards that goal. Okay. So, so now they've logged it. So let's say you've done all the requirements. So you've gone to the website, you've connected, you've, you've met all the the minimums, right? right. So Heather now becomes the, the part where sometimes things do fall apart, right? Absolutely. So they're applying to this and, and the application part is actually more important than people give credit for. And you, know, and Heather, back in the day, when I was talking to veterinarians about how they should apply and what they should do in, during an interview with a, a prospective employer, you know, I, I know that people, People kind of poo-pooed it a little bit. They're like, oh, yeah, I mean, either you're going to like it or not. They're going to like and, and it really even to get to the point of the interview sometimes that those papers and emails that precede yeah. you are really important. So talk to us a little bit about this whole application packet. What does it look like and how can people spice up theirs to make it more appealing? That is a great question. And I think this is also true for if you're applying for that promotion or you're looking forward to look being a leader in your practice. Um I think that the number one thing to do is to have somebody proofread Mm, everything. Amen. But more important than that is to be open to feedback. Yep. Right. Right. Yeah. Too too often people just don't want to let it let it out of their little domain. And wow. And suddenly people are like, "Hey, wait, you could probably do better." (laughs) And you're like, "Wait a minute, what?" Yeah. Yeah, I think that. If the I think that this process or when I did it 100 years ago, um, <laughs> I was acutely aware of what I didn't know. Right. And it's a little humbling to be in that position of like, I think I'm really good at this at anesthesia. I do it all day, every day. And then to really come in, like, really realize like, oh, you know, 5% of something that is so vast. Yeah, so right. that's another thing is just like recognizing this is a process of which you're going to learn a lot, but know that you don't know what you don't know yet. And you're going to come across that as you're putting this together and to not be um, demoralized or demotivated by that. And that's holds true for the person applying for, yeah, they want to be, they want to run a hospital or they want to run a bunch of hospitals. Is ready, be ready prepared for feedback. Yeah. And, and the other thing too, is that person that you solicit feedback from, in my opinion, whenever possible, they should either be in that position or even above. Because Agreed. if you just get like, you know, your your best bud to look over your yeah. thing, they, they A, may have all the best intentions in the world, Heather, but they just don't have the experience or perspective Correct. to give you meaningful insight. So whenever possible. Yes. So how would you suggest, uh, you know, again, that perspective RVT out there who's saying, hey, okay, I, I've done all this, blah, 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 blah. 
How could they find somebody? Because again, let's say they're in rural Kansas and they don't know anyone. Is there a way that you would suggest that they could get feedback kind of in a safe, non-threatening fashion? Okay. So if you are in rural Kansas and you're like, this is something I want to do. I don't have the resources around me. I would look at what CE might be coming up in and around your area. Yeah, good one. Um, Now in our post-COVID world, a lot of that's available online. So now you have maybe access to a conference that you wouldn't normally go to because you can attend that online. And in there, all of those attendees, I bet there's a bunch of VTSs. And now you have their contact information because you have the proceedings. And so I would reach out to them in that that way. Or I think if you search for people on LinkedIn, probably be able to find them there. Search vet tech, search BTS, et cetera. And I think that email me if you have a question, who do I look for in emergency critical care? And I can give, point you right. in that direction. Right, exactly. And again, viewfinders, this is the the benefit of the network process prior yes. to. So when we were talking about, hey, I think I want to do this. Honestly, the relationships that you begin to make there at that stage of the journey, I think are the ones that you're now going to lean back into and say, hey, you know what? It's been a year. I've been working hard. I've been doing this and that. Here's my application. Anyway, you could help me out, you know, take a look at it and and give me some advice. I I think that, again, the journey is really the beautiful part of this. And I love, I love the fact, Heather, that you just led right off the bat and said, hey, look, on anesthesia, you have to be doing this for five years. Like you got to be able to prove that you've been doing this and your CE matches up with that interest. I, I love that. Yeah. Okay. So now you are, have just been in your email inbox has landed a, an application. What are the things that you see commonly that, you know, the mistakes, the, the, the areas that you say, Hey, we need to punch it up a little bit. What, what are those things that you constantly see that you think, wow, the viewfinders probably would benefit from hearing that? This is a great question because this is the thing, this is what kind of motivated me to reach out to you guys to, to have this conversation. I think that people have a really great, the motivation they have when they get started is so high and so they're so dedicated. But once they sort of get into the process, they're like, oh my God, this is so much work. It's work. It's work, right? Yeah. So I think that understanding that this is not, this is a year. You're going to start this process in like January, February to submit it in December. Right. You know, so like you're not going to start this in August or October and think that that's enough time. Yeah. So I think that that's the advice I would give people in the understanding of like the motivation you have on day one, you got to sustain that for quite a while and know that you're going to have some setbacks and it's going to be frustrating at times, but you're still making progress. Right. And that's the whole value of the journey. You know, it's back in yeah. the day, uh, even in a completely separate context, if you find there's this, you know, people would come to me all the time and say, hey, I want to do an Ironman. Right. And it'd be, cool. okay, great. Right. So after three years of doing marathons and half Ironmans, then come talk to me. <laughs> yeah. And the people are like, oh, what? I want to do that. Yeah. Right. No, I wanted to do it like uh, in six months. And you're like, okay. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you may be able to do it, but you will be so injured and burnt out at the end of it that it won't be valuable to you. It won't be meaningful to you. So again, I love the fact that Heather keeps emphasizing it's a grind. It's because what I can tell you, we do not need more leaders who 
or, or lose their enthusiasm quickly, right? Yeah. I mean, we got an abundance of that. So what we need are more people that are just completely committed. And even when the chips are completely down, they go, you know what? I still love it. I'm going to continue to grind it I'm out. I'm going to do okay. it. Okay. Yeah. So first step is I love it is say, recognize it's going to be a long journey. There's going to be ups and downs. This doesn't happen in a month or even six months. This is a year minimum just yes. for the application prior yeah. to, and prior to that, you have to have years of experience. Okay. Correct. So now we got that. Okay. I'm, I'm still grinding it out. I'm willing to do this. What's the next big issue that you see? The next big issue that I see is people trying to, they put their application together and that consists of uh, case logs and case reports. Okay. And the case logs are a kind of succinct, heavily abbreviated um, explanation of 50 to 60 cases that you've seen worked on, experienced, that demonstrate the diversity of your knowledge. Okay. And then you need to put together four case reports that you have pulled out individual cases in that case log and go really in depth of what you did and how you took care of that animal. And that really, really gets into the nitty gritty of your experience that shows the um the breadth and the depth of how much you've learned and what you did to support this patient under anesthesia through a brain surgery, through whatever. Um, so four of those that accompany your um, case logs. So, okay. So, so I love this because a 50, you guys over several years, 50 case logs, not that, no. not, it's not excessive in my opinion. Right. And again, these no. are more succinct, brief, just sort of, this is what happened. Um, and I'll tell you what, to me, Heather, every time when I see, and there's a variety of, of veterinary credentials that require the similar type of thing. Uh, and so, you know, what I find is that vets that say, you know, this is a pain in the butt. I know what I'm doing. They've, yes. they've already missed the point, right? And then Agreed. they get to the full case summaries where you've got to go into details and they're like, you know what? This is beneath me, <laughs> you, know? Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. you know, and, and so they do a, a kind of a, a half job on it. And mm -hmm. of course it shows. So, so maybe explain where you see the, where the big mistakes they make with the logs and with the case reports. Yes, this is huge. So just to frame it, I have a friend who is a VTS in neuro and she's done some work in the UK and she has the neuro um, VTS. There's only like a handful of those individuals and a couple people are UK based and their hospitals consider that specialty and the same lines of a master's degree. Wow. So kind of put that in and frame it in yeah. our world that, right. so if you, that's the amount of work that you have to put into it and the energy and the, but the worth of it, right. That right. in the UK, this is considered like a master's degree. And I, know how hard that is. And I never, um, right. my, yeah, grad school kicked my butt and I don't want to do that again. So, but the, I think that kind of helps you realize like, okay, this is a really, really big deal. So if you use that mindset and that intention, I think maybe that would help you a little bit of like what you're working towards. So what I find in the case for, I'm going to start with the case reports, the big ones, right? What I find in there is I think that these are supposed to be a, like a scientific report. And individuals putting these together may not have a lot of experience with that. Maybe they didn't go to a formal four-year college, which is fine, or they haven't done it in a long time, but they don't have any reference range of how to put this report together. And I think that that inexperience really shows, and you need to have understand that your first case report is probably going to go under tons of revisions, tons 
um, to frame it, I have a friend who worked on a neuro VTS and she, what her first case report, it was about 20 hours of editing, just back and forth, back and forth to elevate her language, to make sure she's on the right path, to make sure she's citing correctly. So there's that too, of like, this is a whole year and the case reports themselves could be like, yeah, a, a week of work. Sure. Just one. Sure. Yeah. And I, and I love that. Again, the process is the the purpose, right? I mean, because we yes. want you to actually thoroughly analyze and really be able to articulate what you did and why you did it. I mean, really, really important stuff. Okay. So, so now within the context of we've got the content, right? We've got the citations, mm-hmm. proper, we had it all laid out perfectly, right? What are some of the issues that you see like with content maybe? Like, you yes. know, is there, are there gaps that we have in the logs or reports? Absolutely. Part one uh, don't lie on your. <laughs> yeah, I think that goes without saying. But is that <laughs> that's is that an issue? Seriously, people just kind of yeah. fabricate. Oh wow. Okay, um, I can see it. I get yeah. So I reached out to the president of the um, my academy and just let them know that I was gonna uh, that I get to be a guest on this podcast and I just wanted to run by some like this is what I'm gonna do and she was excited for it and I said do you have any um, other things you'd want me to mention of how to make sure your application is. Um, is accepted. And she said, don't lie and don't plagiarize. So she's right. Yeah. Things you think that aren't necessary, but are necessary. Yeah. And Um, guys, uh, we're going to find the chat GBT if you use it. So just, just saying, (laughs) 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 but you know, it really is becoming a deal in academic circles. So students are doing this stuff. Uh, And and again, you know, I don't mind using uh, tools whenever possible, but guys, you have to write it yourself and it's got to be truthful. So, okay. It has to be truthful. Part one. Um, So other big things I find in the case reports, and this is true from the recent ones I reviewed for um, oncology and neurology, is this kind of passive voice in the case reports. And it sounds like you're just writing a medical record where there's no kind of soul to it. So in a medical record, you're like administered three MLs, propofol, IV, uh, blah, 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 resolved, you know, just like that kind of, there's no um, pronoun, there's no noun. It's just like, uh, just some, yeah, this passive voice. So I think that that is an immediately a turnoff because it just seems like you're just, um, yeah, regurgitating maybe what happened. I've seen people copy and paste things out of a medical record into their case log or case report where it's a completely different tone. Like the, the quality of the language is a lot is different. The font was even different. So it should be your words, your ideas, and you can lean on the things that are in the medical record, maybe quote it, but you can't claim that that's your original ideas. Yeah. And Heather, I can't help but sort of associate this with applying for a job or a position promotion because it's the same stuff. A, you got to be truthful. I mean, there's a guy in Congress right now who just completely fabricated (laughs) his entire life and you you don't want to be that guy. Okay. So uh, never be that guy. Right. But more importantly, also when you're doing that cover letter, and I can't tell you how many times I've said this over the years to vets and, and managers, Heather, is that you know what? Honestly, the CV or the resume part of it is super important. But what I'm most focused on is the how you communicate in your cover letter, right? And yes. that's literally what Heather is saying here. She's saying, we yeah. read these summaries and sometimes the tonality, it just doesn't match what we're actually looking for. There's no soul, no substance. We don't get your insight into why you did certain things. You just said we did these things. And yep. I think it's really important. So no matter what application you're submitting, mm-hmm. I think those are really good basic tenets. Okay. So keep yeah. going. I, I love this. 
I want to see that um, the elevation of your language, and I made some notes for anticipation for today. And one of my notes was, so for example, don't write something like uh, anesthetized patient for an MRI, MRI had five sequences, because that is that very just kind of dull, not, there's not a lot of depth to that. And so instead write something like um, advanced imaging via MRI consisted of the following sequences. But then I want to know why that's important, right? So images of these areas are necessary because blah, blah, blah. And I think if you write these reports from the perspective of someone reading this is going to ask every single line, why though? Why? Right, right. Why this? Why this? And so if you anticipate that and explain it, then you really show that you know what, um, that you understand the process, you understand the physiology, you understand the um the science of what you're actually doing. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was just going to say, Heather. And, and thank you so much for really reinforcing that. So even if you're applying for a job or promotion, if you just say, I I did, I, I uh, served as this for this, this amount of time, if you don't put it in context of how that benefits whatever it is you're looking for, because examples here, like we're looking in a brain imaging, right? So maybe yeah. this was a seizure case, maybe it was an identified tumor, maybe they're neurological lesions. If you don't tie it back to why, that tells us you don't comprehend the reasons, right? Exactly. And so I yeah. love the fact that you said every time you write something down, just be sure that it answers the simple question of, but why? I love why? it. I love it. Yeah. All right. Other, other, other missteps and misfires. Oh, this is huge. This is really, really big in your, in a cover letter, in a resume, and even in an interview of, they're called <clears throat> weasel words. And Weasel words are those kind of the words that take away from the um, preciseness of what you're trying to say, the exactness. And these words are like um, can, could, maybe, possibly, about, um, might, those kind of things that just sound very like noncommittal. Right. So if you have those in your resume, you have those in your cover letter and in your VTS case report. I'm going to know that you aren't that confident or you're not that secure in what you're trying to convey. Yeah. And again, you want to be as declarative as possible in writing. Now, I will say there's a big caveat, Heather, like when I write a lot of stuff, you know, whether it's my regular column and dogster, I do have to use weasel words because you know, oh, when, yeah, you're, how, when you're out you, there in the like, real world, it's like it, this potentially could cause this problem. <laughs> because, oh, I see. You're saying that you're yeah. doing it from a perspective of like a... right. The, the, like veterinary communities reading it or like a client is reading right and this saying, is right? i love yeah. your point because you want to be as declarative as direct as possible because you're actually justifying your actions Not, or thought exactly. process whereas yeah. and what i was just i was just making a joke because in the real world out there again in like a dogster column or and all the other hundreds of things i write for the lay public That's you awesome. know we do we do kind of have to weasel <laughs> sometimes that because makes sense to me. That you yeah. don't want to right that i think it's a good juxtaposition of those things like in that capacity you do want to be like well there's a lot of variables that go into right. play here which is why i say potentially but and so you want to cover your bases that way right. and not have somebody be like you said this absolutely works 100 percent of the time right, right. right. whereas well, again, i want to know that you confidently administer right. ketamine to a dog with wind up because you know that that is the number one modality to 
fix that. Or had a legitimate evidence-based rationale, right? Like that's what, oh, so, so that. again, love so, so, so yep. what I love about this conversation, again, getting back to that cover letter or even just in your personal communications, you know, whether it's an email or whatever, it's like, okay, if I'm writing this for the internet, then you might have gotten accustomed to a certain tone or flow yes. of words, but this yeah. is not that guys. This is, you're now trying to stand in front of a jury of your peers and convince them that what you did was right. And you know why. <laughs> so Yeah. I mean, no LOLs. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, oh, God. Gosh, seriously. Wow. I would. Yes. Yeah. No hashtags. Hashtag BTS tomorrow. Whatever. <laughs> I, I actually can't imagine. I, I, I can. actually am surprised I've not seen that because that would be pretty fantastic. That would be pretty fantastic. All right. So, all right. So other than all of these, any other little things that maybe we, they could use to, to improve their application or resume or anything? Um, they people should understand this is true in real life of if you're applying for something that speller and spelling and grammar count. Oh yeah, they sure do. So in a VTS case case logs, I would recommend keyword searching particular like particular things. So I'm just gonna use anesthesia because that's my experience. So maybe you tend to misspell propofol. So I'm gonna I wanna keyword search the entire packet for potential different ways that I might misspell that P-R-O-P-E, whatever. Right, right. And make sure that you go through that several times and then you give it to somebody else and then they go through it for you. Um, and think of anything else. This is petty uh, and maybe it's just a personal thing, but I think that when you put the quotations around a pet's name, like that just sort of makes it seem a little more impersonal to me, like the dog's name is its name. Like, I don't think you need to put the quotations on it. Yeah. Um, Heather's most style guides. We established that a long time ago. And, and, and look, in all fairness, Heather, when I was a new grad in, in 30 plus years ago, it was because animal names weren't considered actually a proper name, right? So, so there was this yeah. weird time in literature and writing style where we did put the quotes around it. But honestly, that kind of went away over 20 years ago, at least in my... Yeah, really? That is still a thing. Yeah, you day. shouldn't do that, guys. You shouldn't do that. And, and you know, it's, okay. it's funny because having written and started a bunch of different things over the years and, you know, of course, even going back to my life learn handouts, you know, of 20 five years ago or so, like we'd already, the, the, the style councils had already decided that, you know, Hey, you, there are proper nouns. These are, are yeah, we, we can just yeah. treat them like you would your name, Ernie. You don't put in quotes, right? <laughs> Quote unquote, Ernie. That's good to hear. I love that. That's a 20 year old that we've At least. well established that yeah. good for us. And again, yeah. and again, you know, there are potentially times when quotations would be appropriate, but those are kind of exceptions to the rule. But I love that you brought that up, Heather, because I think that, I mean, it seems petty, but honestly, it's not correct, you know, at least in yeah. modern style, you know, and again, I'm speaking now for the U.S. I don't know how it's done around the world. Obviously, everybody has slightly different, uh, you know, viewpoints on certain right. things. Um, but, you know, again, if you like the Oxford comma, you'll probably not want to put these pets names in quotes either. Like so okay. <laughs> <laughs> we did away with the Oxford comma a couple of years ago over at Dogster and it broke my heart. And they're always constantly correcting me. I said, Why hey, do they want you to get rid of it? That's I don't, so it's sad. more modern styles. You know, the people, people, again, editors have their own different things and sure. uh, and uh, these are uh, a lot of this stuff is up for debate but things like this i love heather that you said hey it kind of bugs me anything else bug you though as we kind of wrap up today's conversation on getting that application beautified using, using contractions mm. uh business writing and scientific writing does not do not doesn't yeah. have contractions so i say that on purpose so so you um have not like you write those whole things out and that's just another way of elevating 
your language to make it sound a little more professional. Yeah, that's a really good point because, uh, you know, I have to put on two different hats depending on the yes. audience for my content. And so like if I'm writing for, again, for Dogster or for any of the, you know, good housekeeping, I just did a thing for them. Uh, I use contractions all day long you know? yeah. and it, it's a much more casual type of thing. And I do use weasel words when I'm dealing with the public. But if I'm writing it for a journal publication or peer review, oh my gosh, I mean, a, a contraction is the first thing to go, right? That's like an easy, yeah, yes. get them out. And and so I love the fact that, I mean, you're right. When you mentioned before about elevating your language, I don't think maybe the viewfinders understood to what degree you were meaning that. And I think hopefully this is some insight, right? Like these are the little nuances of language that Heather is yes. saying, this elevates and it takes time to go back and forth. And, and but I, I love what you said at the very beginning, Heather. It's like, okay, great, reach out, get some feedback, but be prepared to act upon that feedback. Because I think that's yeah. the biggest thing. You got to let go of that ego and something with people yes, like, hey, this just point. isn't this just isn't there yet for me. What do you mean it isn't there? Well, it just doesn't sound professional enough. Maybe you should try again. Like at that point, you you have a key inflection point in your life. Like there are yes. some people that are going to say, you know what? No way. You know, you don't know what you're talking mm -hmm. about. This is good. You're making a personal attack on me without basis <laughs> or whatever. Or you're going to be hopefully like a successful individual and take a mindset of going, okay, I don't even know if I understand or agree with everything that they're saying, but I am going to revisit and give it some reflection. I think that that yes, honestly, it's huge. It changes your life. That simple little decision. Yeah. And feedback itself is such an interesting thing because it's never personal. It feels personal just because you don't maybe have experience with it. But like where I work, we get feedback all the time. And so you learn very quickly that this is to help me help more people. And my job, I do a lot of training. And so any feedback I get of how to do something better directly helps all the team members we have. So I think that's the big thing is like, know that you're going to get a lot of feedback and that all this is, is you should be appreciative and grateful for it because it's just helping you grow. Yeah. Heather, uh, Becky and I did a whole podcast on this uh, a few years ago about how to, how to really solicit and accept feedback. I and, saw that. I listened to that. Yeah. Good, good. And, and you, you know, what we were trying to say to people is that, okay, look, there are times very rarely when the person is not giving you legitimate feedback, right? Mm -hmm. so, but I, I go into the world with an open mind saying, Hey, if they're willing to give me something, I'm going to take it. Now, I don't have to use it. And I think that's the biggest difference, right? I mean, sometimes yes. people think that, well, this person gave me this bit of advice, therefore I have to implement it. That's just not true at all. There are many times no. when people say, hey, Ernie, I think you should try this or that. And I, I go back, reflect on it, seriously contemplate what they've said. And I go, I disagree. I'm going to keep with it. You know, mm -hmm. uh, I'll tell you right now, a funny thing that uh, somebody and I were talking about recently, uh, they were talking about the tool Grammarly. And I don't, I don't really use it a lot. Uh, I, I'm familiar with it. It's an online grammar checker, right? Yeah. And so this person said, Hey, I'm using this, whatever. So, um, anyway, so I downloaded this program and said, Hey, you know what? I'll, I'll try it and see what it did. And sure enough, you know, I thought there were a lot of good, it caught a lot of little simple typos where I left out a comma or added a comma, that kind of stuff, right? You know, misspellings, yeah. that kind of stuff. I love that. But then there were several instances where it would try to rewrite a sentence and I would look back at it and I would say that for me, at least in my one example, I didn't agree with it. I was like, I yeah. kind of like the way, the way I'm saying it, right? Because maybe they rewrote in a different tense or yeah, certainly a different the tone, tone. Right, right. They, right. Of it. And it just didn't seem to, to, I, I think somehow translate into my voice. Right. You know, That's so, it. so yeah. I think that, that this is where also guys, when you're out there in the real world, you do want to make sure that you take this advice and you make sure you still retain your own voice and your own soul, as Heather said earlier. So, yes, you know, absolutely. so again, even if it's AI or whatever, and we're going to catch you if you use the chat GBT, <laughs> but... <laughs> 
<laughs> but, uh, but, you know, I, I love the fact that, Heather, you, you've really focused on the journey, being authentic, making sure this is a motivation that sustains itself yes. and that you're willing to do the work. Because I think at the end of the day, if you just do that, if you commit to it, people are going to help you succeed. Yeah, people want you to succeed. And yeah. people, like, I want the people who have asked me to work on a VTS, like, my, I genuinely want them to attain that because the more people that have it, the better we all are, right? The better our patients are. Your job satisfaction hopefully improves. You have more opportunities. So, like I said, there's no gatekeeping. It's more like, come, please do this. How can I help you? I love it. Heather, any last bits of advice for all things getting a new job, promotion, or maybe even becoming a VTS? All of this is, uh, this applies to all of those things. Read whatever directions there are. Um, understand those directions. Uh, upload your work, be it to Indeed or wherever, or to the VTS Academy. Upload that correctly and don't wait to the last minute to do that Um for anything. Wow. I love it. Heather Carter, VTS and anesthesia amongst other things. Thank you so much for sharing your experiences. Thank you so much. Uh, it's been a phenomenal conversation. Yeah, this was wonderful. Thank you. Well, viewfinders, what do you think about this whole VTS application process? Uh, have you learned anything today? Are there lessons that you could apply to the rest of your life? We'd really like to hear from you. And again, you can reach out to us on Instagram and Facebook at Veterinary Viewfinder. You can always email us at veterinaryviewfinder at gmail.com. Com. In fact, that's what Heather did. And then we got going yeah. quickly with that content. Uh, again, we really want to hear from you. Uh, definitely follow us on some of the social media. And Becky, we are thinking about you and can't wait to talk to you next week. Yes. Bye. Hi, Becky. All right. Till next week, guys. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Great job. So, that was so fun. Yeah, you nailed it. 